You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist Church. And I'm going to start my video because you'd think that I had this by now. Good morning. Good morning, everybody here in person. Good morning, everybody joining us online, joining us through our podcasts. It is so good to be together in all the ways we can be today. So good to be in this space in this space of the world together. And it is a joy to be leading worship this morning with Franco and Amy, with Dr. Glenn Thomas, with Daphne, with Karen, with Vicki Elliott from Mental Health Connect. It is so good to be all together. And this is a special Sunday, not only because we're back in person for some of us for the first time in almost a month, but also because today is Mental Health Sunday. This is something we do every year. It's a day that we focus our attention on mental and emotional health and healing as a congregation and the resources that are available to support us. Now we do this together because we are a community of care. As you heard last week, if you've listened to the podcast or were with us online, we believe not only in individual self-care, but in care of the community as well. None of us can do this life alone. We are not meant to. We are interconnected, interdependent beings. And so we care for each other. When things are easier, when things are harder, when we're celebrating, when we're struggling, we do it together. So today we'll invite you into learning with us, but also into a practice that we have developed over the years together. And that is any time through the service, you are invited to come up and light a candle, either for yourself or for someone you love who's been impacted by mental illness. Now, I want to especially encourage you, it's okay to move around during the service. This doesn't have to happen all at one time. It can be an opportunity, to, like I said, to move throughout. So as anyone is talking, you are welcome to come up. As anyone is singing or playing music, this is one of the ways we know that we are connected with one another is through these candles. And I'll tell you, the first year we did this practice together of lighting a candle for ourselves or someone else that we care about impacted by mental illness, it was, in fact, the very first time I've ever seen a fire extinguisher used in church. And this is because it turns out there are so many of us impacted by mental illness. And so we are safer. We have a lot more trays. We know how to do this now. There'll be no fire. I just want to say that. And seeing that light come together taught me something so important. We don't need to be alone in this. We are not alone in this. And in fact, we have so much in common with one another. So this morning, you'll see me light a candle. And this will be for the members of my family who live with bipolar disorder. And I will light the candle and I will know that so many of you have similar experiences and that we can be together in a circle of care. Now, in this church community, we believe in a love that will not let us go, a love that takes shape in the world through our hands and our hearts and our actions. We welcome all people and all parts of ourselves. We trust that each and every one of us is born whole and holy and worthy. For over 150 years, this congregation has been a community that proclaims the power of love and hope. We invite each other into the rhythm and the practice of giving and receiving and growing together, always in this cycle. We are a community where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, where we welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each and every human heart, and where we act with courage and humility and compassion in service to justice. We do all of this as a faith community deeply committed to ending oppression in all of its forms and building spaces of joy and liberation and belonging for all of us. 
We are so very glad to be here together. There are so many ways to be connected with this community, and I'm just going to name a few of them because it's important to connect outside of Sunday mornings. First of all, if you're not signed up for our newsletter, please do so. It's the best way to know what's happening each week and what's coming up. Every Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we offer an online midweek meditation service. It's a great chance to ground yourself in the middle of the week and be connected in another way. Now, if you are here with us in person or you come by on another day this week, I want to encourage you to check out a few things. Down in the social hall, Carolyn Liebler, a member of this community, has some absolutely stunning quilts on display down there. It is worth a visit. They're so very beautiful. And if you came in this morning and went through the atrium, perhaps you saw the new art installation there. The crystals from our old chandelier in the social hall have been transformed into that hanging sculpture of crystal beauty in the atrium, thanks to the imagination and creativity and tremendous work by Kristen Mengelcook. So thank you for creating that for all of us. I love it, I love it, I love it. <laughs> And if you are looking for something to put on your calendar that says joy and connection, February 20th at two o'clock, we'll be hosting a concert here in the sanctuary in person and online with Anne Reed and Joan Griffith. This is a fundraiser for the church, but it's also a chance to connect in community, to soak up some rhythm and music and be together. Tickets are on sale on our website, and of course, if the cost is prohibitive in any way, just let us know. We'd be happy to uh, take care of that for you. The seating is limited in person because of COVID, so get your tickets. It's going to be awesome. As we prepare ourselves for this time of connection and care, we remember that we are on land that is not our own, that people and land and beings are not possessions to be owned that the earth and its people, past and present and future, carry stories and hold histories of hope and resilience, trauma and pain. And we commit ourselves to learning and holding it all, trusting in the power of love as we do what part is ours to do to repair the web of love and life we live within. And to do all of this work, we start by preparing ourselves. So I invite you into a practice, if it's comfortable for you, of settling your body. As always, you're in charge of your body. Do what feels right for you. And I will let you know what I'm doing to settle myself in. I am feeling my feet on the floor. Taking a moment just to notice the existence of my body. Maybe it's the places I'm touching the ground, touching this pulpit, taking a moment to stretch out my neck, to arrive here, and to connect with each of you who are here in person, who are here connected all over the world through time and space with our breath. I invite us to breathe in and breathe out, to breathe in, and breathe out, and once more, breathing in, and breathing out. And from this place, we acknowledge what we are about together as we share in our chalice lighting words our words of covenant. Daphne, will you come right, light the chalice? I invite you to say these words with me, if you know them. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Hello. Hello. It's good to see you all. It's a challenge to get up and get dressed to go to work. 
but it was done and we all are here and I am happy to see you all as well. I need all of the kids to stand up for a minute and help me out with something. All the kids, you know who you are. If somebody calls you a kid, you're a kid. Okay, there may be older kids, black like kids, but that's okay, great. All right, now, um, Jen's gonna hold up some things to say. And on each sheet, I want you to say what's on there, but really loud and with sort of an attitude. Do you know what it means to have an attitude, children? <laughs> Do any of you get sassy sometimes with your parents? Uh, okay, 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 that's what I'm talking about. Okay, the first one's coming now. I want you to say it really loud and sassy. Have you lost your mind? Thank you, very good. Next one. This is so crazy. All right, very good. Now a little more sass the next time, okay? You know she's cray cray. Cray cray, that's like from hip hop, you know. Okay, great, good job. Next one. You are a nutcase, thank you very much. And I think that's it. You guys did a great job, very sassy. Have a seat, thank you. Now, there's a reason for this. And the reason is, I want you to look at those little balls over there in the corner. You see them all balled up there? That was me when people said things like that to me, all balled up in a corner in pain. Because for a long time, people said that word to me. And how many of you said the word crazy last week at least one time? Tell the truth, everybody, tell the truth. Come, oh, everyone's so enlightened now, let's see. All right, well, I know that I said it a few times and I know other people say it all the time because it's a word we use so casually to make it sound for just about anything. It's like saying, I'm okay. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, you're crazy. And we do it with a smile, we do it with a grimace, we do it with anger, we do it with love, we think. But the word is complicated. For many years, I suffered sadness and depression and anger and frustration because my brain wasn't working a certain way. And I ended up being really alone a lot of the time. And when I did have friends, I didn't keep them very long because I would start to be angry and be mean and take risks and not be a good friend. And this went on for many years. Oh, I was successful, I did everything I had to do, but my personal life was a wreck because I was sick. And I didn't get any help because people had said things to me and maybe act like that. I just balled up and hide and hid away. Well, finally, somebody said to me, you know, Karen, maybe, maybe you need a little help. No, I don't need any help, I'm fine. No, maybe, maybe you need a little help. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about how you're feeling. And I was 32 years old when this happened. And I finally went and saw a therapist. And the therapist says, I think you need to go see another doctor. And then the doctor says, I think you need to see yet one more doctor. And maybe we need to do some tests and figure out what's going on with you, why your life is like this. Why was I so alone? I appeared to be with everybody, but I was so alone. Finally, they figured out that I suffered from severe depression and anxiety. Really severe, really bad. And I had to do something about it from all the things the doctors said. Because I didn't want to stay like that, because it wasn't a good place. 
So they, they gave me medicine. I'm carrying it today. This is actual medicine. I take this and another one every day. And from the time I was 35, because it took them a few years to figure out until now, I'm 64. I just turned 64. I've been taking this medicine or something like it to help me not crawl up in a little ball. And I do other things too, like I exercise, I eat well, I have friends, I come to church, I go to work, I love my family, I raise my kids, but I couldn't do any of that until I said I needed some help. So to the kids in particular, because I have a first grader and I hear her say these words. In fact, I heard a second grader on the bus that she travels on, get on the bus and says, oh, you know, so-and-so, they're just bipolar. Like it's a joke. Second grader making a joke. So if you hear people say things about people being crazy or messed up or any other thing, maybe you, the kids that you are, might say, do you need some help? Do you need a friend? Do you need somebody to talk to? And maybe you're the person that'll be there. And there may be adults in your life that have trouble too. I told my kids recently that I take this medicine and make me feel better. Because they saw me one day when I didn't take it and I wasn't the same person. So I had to tell them the truth. And now they understand. So think about that word crazy that we use and try to think of some other ways to talk to people when their hearts and their souls and their spirits are sad or out of sorts. Thanks for listening. Oh, I need one more kid, uh, 10 year old, anybody 10? Oh, 10. Hey. Run right here, ready to roll. Will you take those words and put them in the garbage? Because we don't need them anymore, do we? How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone fail to tell you you are whole. How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. Our connections deepen with each time we choose and each time we spend in each other's company. What great news. Now is a time where we continue and deepen and enrich our spiritual growth, our development. Sometimes we call it religious education. We're all doing it. Sometimes we pretend like the kids are doing it. No, we're all doing this spiritual growth work. Some of us in places where the chairs are made just for us, just down the hall. Some of us in our homes where the chairs we bought or we, we got just for us. Some of us in this room, tall enough for the chairs to be just for us. May we all grow and may we all be well. Oh, I woke up this morning with my mind and it was staying on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind. Stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind. And it was stayed on freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
hallelujah. Well, I was walking and talking with my mind, and it was stayed on freedom. Walking and talking with my mind, and it was stayed on freedom. I was walking and talking with my mind, and it was stayed on freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I was singing and praying with my mind, and it was stayed on freedom. Stayed on freedom, hallelujah, 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 We come into this space together full of joy and celebration, full of troubles sometimes, full, I hope, of connection, the reaching out of one to the other. In this space, whatever you're feeling, wherever you are, we are connected, breath to breath, life to life in a never-ending cycle. So let's take a moment together to settle in to a quieter time, a moment or two of silence, but a silence that can hold movement, can hold sound if it needs to, a chance to settle together. Spirit of life and love. We are in this life together. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we feel alone or isolated, separate somehow. And yet here we are, wherever we are. Connected past, present, future. Each of us one part, one piece of a long line. Generations stretching back and stretching forward. Each of us important. Each of us unique. And yet each of us a part of something so much bigger. The cycles of life of giving and receiving and growing, of being in constant movement and change. May we know ourselves whole, holy, worthy of so much love and care. May we know each other, each and every one, whole, holy, worthy. May we do our part, creating systems of care and connection, tearing down the systems of oppression that must be torn down, and creating in their place systems and ways of being of love and liberation and belonging. May we know each other as our own. And from this space of connection and care, we recognize the turnings in our lives, the joys and sorrows that we might hold it all 
together. So let us take some time now to say out loud, if you wish, those names of folks who are in your hearts to type them into the chat or to simply hold these people and places in the quiet sanctuary of our hearts. Together we share in hope and prayer that the grip of addiction might be loosened, that the weight of oppression might be lightened, that grief might be shared, that truth might be told, that joy might break through, and that love might make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. you for holding us in the care of music. It is such a joy today to get to introduce Vicki Elliott, who is the Executive Director of Mental Health Connect, and who will share a bit of her story and some really important information with us about Mental Health Connect and mental illness and healing. And I want to say that I, it is such a privilege for First Universalists to be partnered with Mental Health Connect. This is an organization in the community that does so many important things. Most, well, they're all important, but I have to say my favorite part of Mental Health Connect is the Mental Health Navigator. So this is an opportunity if you are someone who maybe is needing to find a therapist, is looking for how to help someone that you love who's struggling with addiction or mental illness or just having a hard time, you can reach out to Mental Health Connect and someone will partner with you one-on-one -on -one to help hear what's going on and help you find the right resources for you. And they'll stick with you through the process to help make sure you get connected. This is invaluable in those moments when we need some extra help from each other. So it is a joy to welcome Vicki to the pulpit this morning. Please welcome her with me. Good morning. Well, thank you for being here today. This is a great group and a lot larger than I was anticipating. But we're gonna talk about a really important topic this morning. And some people are calling it the other pandemic, or I've heard it called the silent pandemic, or the next global pandemic. But it's mental health and addiction. Now, mental health and addiction are not new. They've been around since humans have been here. The thing that's new is the frequency, the number of people experiencing mental health issues, and the effect on everyone and everything in our world. I'm gonna share a little bit about my personal story and then uh, some resources and some hope. My story is one where many of you may hear parts of your own story and be able to relate. 
Why? Because almost half, or 46% of adults, will experience a mental illness during their lifetime. And the other half know them, love them, and care. Just last year, it was reported 40% of US adults are struggling with mental health and substance use. One in six US youth, age six to 17, experience a mental health disorder each year. Half of all mental illnesses begin at age 14. And depression alone costs the nation 210.5 billion annually. We're gonna discuss how our lives can be and are meant to evolve and be transformed. How we can make that happen. I want you to leave here this morning with some ideas on how you can really improve your mental health, help each other, because we're all in this world together, and that you have resources. So let me start back in 1998. Our family was introduced to the mental health system here in the Twin Cities. I had a sweet little boy who was just four years old, and it would be our first introduction to those mental health struggles, confusion, and all the misinformation that exists. He was diagnosed with ADHD at four years old. We would later go on to concerns with anxiety, depression in middle school, and finally a mood disorder diagnosis in high school. I don't say these diagnoses lightly. He struggled with sadness, self-harm, fitting in, finding his people, being bullied, bullying, trying to figure out who he was in a constant changing teen atmosphere. He was the class clown, and he battled with his own thoughts. All of this worried and affected our entire family and our community. Things didn't get easier. At age 19, he was beginning to struggle with substance use. It was affecting his ability to keep a job, his friendships. He had lost his long-term girlfriend, which was devastating to him. His roommates would find it almost impossible to live with him, and he was lost. He had seen plenty of therapists and doctors and psychiatrists over the years, but at this point, we decided we should get a new evaluation by a psychiatrist. It just seems like something else was going on. Sure enough, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at 19 years old. It shouldn't have been a surprise, considering all the ups and downs that we had gone through over the years, but it was tough to hear. My son, Cole, was loving, funny, had the ability to develop amazing friendships, he gave the best cozy bear hugs, and he knew how to express his emotions so easily. We were excited to experience the best parts of Cole again, to have quality time with him and laugh and enjoy life with him. But we had to come up with a plan. We had so many questions and unknowns. What now? What were the next steps? Is he gonna be better? Is he gonna feel good again? Many times, there doesn't seem to be a clear reason why somebody gets a diagnosis. Like any disease that we could get, physical or mental, some possibilities include genetics, the environment, trauma, lifestyle choice, and many other reasons that are really out of our control. We couldn't take an x-ray or take him in for an MRI to find out where did this begin? How did it develop? And most important, is it progressing? We didn't have a clear path of recovery and healing either. And these are the things that make mental illness so difficult. Well, things would get worse. The years after his bipolar diagnosis were the toughest years I have ever gone through as a mom. Sleepless nights, phone calls from him for help, days we weren't able to find him, wondering where he was staying, who was he with, he would call us for money, food, a ride. He was lonely. He was scared. These ups and downs and twists and turns went on for five years. His needs during this time fluctuated. He wanted help, 
but then he wouldn't want to talk to us. Resources were so difficult to find. We would scour the internet, not really knowing where to begin, with a therapist or a treatment center, or I didn't know how to, where to begin. We found that open beds for treatments have waiting lists that can be very long. Affordable housing seems like finding a needle in a haystack. Therapists, counselors, psychiatrists had very, very long waiting lists. And there were many hoops to go through. And many times, at the other end of the phone, when we, when we would call around for help or resources, we would hear, no, sorry, we can't help you. No, we don't do that here. Cole is now 24 years old, living with bipolar disorder and addiction. He had been homeless, attempts to live back at home, lived in shelters, abandoned cars with friends, and he finally landed in government housing. He had experienced inpatient substance treatment, trips to the psychiatric unit, ambulance calls, therapists, psychiatrists, medications, police calls, overdoses, and so much more. This lifestyle is so tough, and nobody wants to struggle in this way. It's not a choice. So how does this happen to someone like him? Someone who has family, community, love, support? The answer? The face of mental illness and addiction looks like all of us. We learned through his experience that addiction and mental illness does not care if you are rich or poor, privileged, dress well, have a strong faith, have people that love you, if you're smart or you're gifted, it doesn't matter. It touches all of us. It can be cruel. It's now the beginning of 2018, five years since his bipolar diagnosis, just four years ago. He'd been through so much, but he had enough. He was tired, he was broke, he was betrayed, he was lonely, hungry, and he was finally ready. He was ready to get some help. The system would break down numerous times over the years for him, and this time ended up being no different. It was difficult to find an open bed. There were mix-ups with his paperwork. They would lose his paperwork. They forgot to call him when the bed opened up. So, in April 2018, he did it. He stuck with it. He kept pursuing it and he would finally leave for inpatient treatment. This was the answer, and our prayers felt like they were answered and heard. I would be able to sleep that night. Sadly, this relief didn't last long. After about two and a half weeks in treatment, he received some very bad news and a real blow to his recovery. They were forcing him to leave treatment because he was unable to get to his groups and his therapy unassisted. You see, while Cole was in inpatient treatment, he got very, very sick, and they kept telling him he was just detoxing. It's just detoxing. But after two weeks, we kind of were wondering, that doesn't seem right. He was so sick that he had a difficult time walking, and they would not provide him with a wheelchair, a cane, a walker, nothing. So the next day, they drove him back to his apartment, dropped him off, not at the doctor, not at the hospital, not at the clinic, not at the emergency room, but at an apartment two hours away that he no longer rented. Now luckily, his fob still worked and he could get into his apartment, but he wasn't supposed to be there. Now imagine if you went to a treatment center or the hospital for cancer. You wanted to heal, you wanted to get better, and you needed some medication. But because you weren't healing while you were there, because you were sick and you weren't able to participate the way that they expected you to, they asked you to leave. And they dropped you back off at home or at a friend's house. No further instructions. What would happen to you? What would happen to your cancer? To your outlook on your health? The night after Cole was dropped off at his apartment by the treatment center in April 2018, he would call 911. He couldn't walk, and he felt like he was unable to move from the neck down. Cole would discover through a quick blood test in the emergency room 
he was struggling with a type of staph infection called MRSA. Well, I had never heard of MRSA before, but we were about to learn a lot about it and the effects of opioid addiction and the destruction it can cause. I would spend the entire morning, I could spend the entire morning providing you with information about the opioid epidemic and the destruction happening in America, but that is an entirely different presentation. After a few days in the hospital, Cole still was not getting better. The MRSA was difficult to fight, and it was in many parts of his body, including his spinal cord, which is what was preventing him from being able to walk. There was also damage to his spleen, his heart valves, his kidneys, and so much more. There were lots of tubes, machines, oxygen, antibiotic cocktails to try to fight the MRSA. We would embark on a string of tense, terrifying days. Cole would have two heart attacks, internal bleeding, surgery to have his spleen removed. They would work on him, CPR, defibrillator, giving him blood, dialysis, and so much more. This is not what he would ever have anticipated. During one of these heart attacks, he would be without oxygen for 45 minutes. Was it day? Was it morning? Was it night? I had no clue because I just sat and watched and worried and waited and prayed. Some doctors told us, have hope. He is young. He is strong. We have seen young people pull through this before. Others, like his neurologist, were not as hopeful. It appeared that there was very little brain activity and the damage was too great. So after two weeks of struggling with MRSA in the hospital, Cole took his last breath and passed away on May 8th, 2018, just 24 years old. Three and a half years ago, I lost my oldest son that sweet baby boy to an illness. The illness is called mental illness and addiction. And I know many of you here this morning are nodding, maybe internally. Yes, I know that illness too. You may have your own story. You'll be able to relate to parts of my story, and for that I'm so sorry. Now I was about to experience my own mental health challenges. Grief. My firstborn child, I could not believe this was happening. This just can't be how his story ends. He is so young, he never even got a chance. He was getting help, he was ready. The whys, the should haves, and the could haves are all pointless and worthless. Don't get me wrong, we all went there. We questioned everything. Should we have, could we have? Should we done that different? Should we have said something different? Should we have got him help faster? But we do what we can with the tools that we have at that particular time. We do what we think is right. And we can't see what's to come. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't even have a map. We have nothing guiding us in these sorts of situations. But the pain that I experienced was like nothing I've ever felt. It was physical, emotional, spiritual, and it was so powerful that it scared me. I wasn't sure that I would be able to go on, be the same, to ever get out of bed again. For a while, I just stayed there in bed. I didn't know what to do. Do I go to work? Do I call someone? I can't sleep all the time. What do, how do I cope? How do I get through this? Well, we can acknowledge that all of us have experienced some grief over the last two years. There's been a lot of change, a lot of change for everyone, job, life, family. And change leads to grief. Whether it's positive or negative, you're giving something up and you're moving towards something new. So giving up something creates a grief response in us. Maybe not, you haven't experienced the loss of a child like I did, 
But losing a job or a life transition, a death, a divorce, loss of a friendship or a pet, a move, so many more things. I like to think of it this way. If you're walking along and you fall down into a deep, dark hole, you can't get out on your own. It's too dark down there. It's too deep. It's too far down. And that's what it feels like. You're so far down. How are you going to get out? You have to take some intentional steps and go through a process to feel healing. And it's not done in isolation and silence. So to get relief, many times we start to search for coping techniques, right? What can I do? How am I going to do this? What can, I, what can help? Um, sometimes it is things like avoidance. We tend to ignore people. We spend some time in isolation. We look to substance use. We get negative and angry. They sneak up on you, and you may not even notice it. This leads to lost relationships, a difficult and a challenging life mental health struggles, physical problems like heart disease, stroke, immune issues, and even addiction. I wanted to find a healthy way to cope, but I didn't know how, and if I would ever get past this pain and fear I was feeling. Of course, grief is just one of life experiences that can challenge our mental health. There are many, and things that are very, very difficult to manage. But I just wanted to point out that pain and um, hurt can also lead to worse things. And I was dealing with both of those, fear, pain. So why do I share this story with you? Most of you, well, probably all of you, I don't know. I've just disclosed a lot of feelings, experiences, emotions, personal information about my family, our struggle. It's because I know that our stories are how we learn. It's how we can encourage each other. It's how we break the stigma of mental illness and addiction. And it's how we can grow closer as a society. I want you to know that you're not alone. We've been through it too. We need each other, community, help in tough times, and we can't be afraid to ask. The price is too high. If I can help someone in this journey, if I can reach people and let them know, you're not alone. You're not out here by yourself. You're not the only one. There's help. You can do this. So many people are hurting and in search of solutions, help and hope. Addiction, substance use disorder, mental health concerns, physical illness, trauma, can and will happen to all of us. It's in every family tree, every neighborhood, every faith community, every school, every workplace. We're humans. We have brains, we have emotions, we have bodies, and they're all connected. So one, when one struggles, so does the other. So how do we cope? How can we manage? Well, I did get a crash course in coping. So let me share with you what I did, what I learned, um, four things. Number one, I had to seek help and seek community. I just, it wasn't working by myself, even though I wanted it to. Number two, seek your higher power or God. I had to reach out. I didn't know what else to do, and I just, somebody better help me. Somebody better get me through this. Thank goodness we are never alone. Number three, seek you. Find yourself again. Maybe you're not the same as you were last year or 10 years ago. Figure out who you are. And last, seek purpose. My last step was to find some sort of purpose through this pain. I'm happy to say that three and a half years ago is not where Cole's story ends. Shortly after Cole's death, I was introduced to Mental Health Connect. This nonprofit is what I needed all along. I now, and now I know that so many other people also need that direction and help. 
Mental Health Connect has become very important to me. It was what I needed all those years. It's what my son needed, my family, my community, someone to guide us, find us resources, help us understand what we were dealing with and what was available to us, navigate the mental health and substance use resource system. I knew now that I was not alone. There were many individuals and families in this place. So I gave up my career, I made a complete change, and I wanted to work with Mental Health Connect. Mental Health Connect and First Universalist Church are partners, collaborating and partnering with over 30 faith communities right here in the Twin Cities. Faith communities like yours really care about people. They want to make sure you have tools and resources to heal, to find support, and to thrive. And I'm so grateful for that. If you don't know about Mental Health Connect, well, I'm really glad you're here today because it's a resource you will be able to share with someone at some point. When I was introduced to Mental Health Connect, I knew this organization was exactly what was missing. It has an innovative process that was missing in our faith communities, and it's also absent in our mental health field. So we bridge the two together, making faith communities safe places for people to go. Without realizing it, Mental Health Connect has become a big part of my own healing and exactly what I needed, purpose. Mental Health Connect has three tools, and I'll just cover these really quickly. Navigation, which Reverend Jen already talked to you about. Second one is collaboration with faith communities. And the last is education. First, like Reverend Jen said, our navigation line is phone, email, text. It's free, it's confidential. It's a real person that you'll be talking to, and they're gonna do the legwork for you. You can call for yourself or someone you care about. It's 612-MHC-1220. They're gonna listen to what you have to say. They're gonna listen to your story. They're gonna ask a few clarification questions, and then they're gonna get to work finding you the resources that fit your insurance, that fit your situation, where you're at, what you might need. These can be topics on recovery, mental health, or just coping. The second thing is we're collaborating with faith communities in the Twin Cities. And we have liaisons at each of our faith communities that we call ambassadors, and your ambassadors are here today. They're downstairs with a table of resources. Please check them out afterwards. They meet every single month to hear professional speakers, get resources, get tools, training to bring back to this faith community. Some of the upcoming uh, trainings that we have are Narcan training. We have authors um, that write about church and mental health and theology and how that can be, uh, can be in conflict. Organizations that can be resources for your community, speakers from crisis lines, opioid information, speakers that you can bring back here and utilize in your community, NAMI, National Association of Mental Illness, therapists, and we have so much more. And the last thing that we do is education, and we feel like this is so important to share our stories and provide education about addiction and mental illness. When we're embarrassed, when we're ashamed, when we feel like we can't talk to anyone, it's really hard to get help because you don't reach out. So we provide education on topics like de-escalation training, how to support people and really listen, sharing resources to give people good next steps, suicide prevention training, which we're gonna talk about this morning downstairs at 12.30 and so much more. But please check out our website, mhconnect.org, and look at the events that we have coming up. I'm so proud of this organization. We have over 100 volunteers that work with us, and all of them are passionate about being mental health advocates. We share stories, and we are seeing advancements, and so it feels hopeful. 
The last thing in closing I want to say is a quote from Zig Ziglar about fear. And some of you pr probably have read this, but he said, fear has two meanings, F-E-A-R. Forget everything and run. Or face everything and rise. And sometimes we have, it depends on what the situation is, but we can have both of those feelings. We might want to run, but we might want to rise. So let's start working together. Let's listen to each other, finding healthy, healthy coping techniques and rise. Let's start creating epic comebacks from great setbacks. This conversation will continue downstairs in your social hall where you'll find lots of resources downstairs and the movie starts at 12.30. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing your story, Vicki, and for the work that Mental Health Connect does. We are so grateful. Every time we gather, one of the things we do in this ever flowing back and forth of giving and receiving is, and growing is an opportunity to share in our resources. So today's offering will be shared with Mental Health Connect. It's one of the ways we can actively support this organization and its work in our community. And like I said, we are always in this back and forth flow of giving and receiving and growing. So if this is a time when you are struggling and you do not have financial resources to share, that is always okay. In fact, if you are in need of any support, please reach out to one of the ministers or any of the staff, and we will be in this practice of giving and receiving and growing, supporting each other together. Would the ushers please come forward to receive the offering? And for those of you joining us online or on our podcast, there are lots of ways to give at first by text, by check, by website. We're so grateful for your resources and sharing together. to be grateful for today, for music, for stories, for community, for this chance to be together in all of the ways that we can. So as we prepare to close today, I want to take a moment for one more thing to be grateful for, rather one more person. Maybe you remember March of 2020. Maybe you've been trying to forget it. I don't know. Maybe it's both all at once. But I have a very clear memory of the day that we decided to ch close the church building to in-person gathering and to pivot to make everything online. So the person who was most in charge of that effort is Jen Stromberg, who has been, I know, we can just erupt, that's fine. <laughs> All of the sudden and seemingly out of nowhere, Jen brought us online and into this era where we are now both online and in person. She's been behind the camera, behind the Zoom, making things happen for us for nearly two years now, changing her job, her schedule, her skill set, everything on a moment's notice. She has helped us stay connected to each other in all the ways we can. And we're grateful to have hired someone new who will help us with our audiovisual presentations, and you'll get to meet him next week. But we wanted to take a moment to celebrate Jen for all that she has done and all of the ways she has kept us connected to each other. So Jen, thank you, thank you, thank you. And on behalf of the congregation, we have a gift for you, and we are so very grateful for you. Let us take the love and connection of this time together, of this place, with us wherever we go, remembering ourselves and each other as whole and holy, worthy and loved. And let us make that so for every being in this world. 
May it be so. Amen. Let us go now in peace. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.